So today, grab your Bibles, your devices, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Hey, this is super exciting Sunday, because today we begin our study through our resurrection season series called My Story. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take these three chapters, 26, 27, and 28 of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be teaching through them over the next three weeks together. It's the narrative of that of the passion, everything from that of the betrayal of Christ through the crucifixion, through that of the resurrection. And it's going to be a great three weeks for us to spend together in these three chapters in the book of Matthew. We have chose to call this my story for a reason. Because what you're going to find in these narratives in the book of Matthew is that you're going to find yourself. You're going to find characters that you identify with. You're going to find moments in your life that you can touch. You can have a touch point with. You're going to see yourself because this is truly your story. You know, what I've learned is we all have stories, right? Yes. And some of our stories are a little more exciting maybe than others. Some of our stories have some more turns than others. Some of our stories have some interesting aha moments than, than others. But we all have a story to tell. I've learned as I progress through years, not that I'm getting old, right? But I progress through years, I have more stories to tell. And so I have a lot of those stories in my staff. They kind of all, I, I guess they kind of tolerate me sometimes because I tell stories, they laugh. I know it is somewhat of a, a maybe like a, a courteous laugh. I don't know if you ever had that happen before, but I always have a story about something in my life because those things really identify us. They really do. If you look at these texts, what you realize is that when you put them together with biblical history, that when you look back at the early, early church, there was never a moment in the history of the early church where you didn't find some elements of the story of the, the betrayal and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. It was very essential because here is the thing. It is foundational to the gospel for us. It is. It is absolutely foundational to the gospel. It is a story that brings us all together because we, we find ourselves in the, in the middle of it. And I thought about this story as some people have accused the early Christians of maybe creating a story to substantiate the resurrection. But if you look at the elements of the story, it's not the kind of story they would write. It's not. It's a story of betrayal. It's a story of cowardism. It's a story of that of the leader of the group being crucified as a criminal on the cross, being accused of treason. It is not a story that you would write to simply substantiate a religious movement. Because why? Because it's truth. It is not something that was created in some back room or some scroll by some scribe, but yet it's truth. And the beauty of all of that is it being truth is that you and I find ourselves in the very middle of all of these words. So for the next three weeks together, I trust that you open your heart and your mind to the words that we share from the book of Matthew and you look diligently, intently into these words, and you find yourself there. And in that, you find healing for your life. In that, you find redemption for your life. In that, you truly find freedom. I think freedom from some struggles in your life. Today, we talk about the subject of betrayal. And it's a tough subject to talk about. So let's begin right away. The book of Matthew chapter 26 and verse 1. And here's what it says. When Jesus had finished all these things, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests chief, chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. 
and they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So my first thought is, as we begin this series together, is where do you see yourself in the story? That's it. Where do you see yourself in the story? Because the five verses I just read are the prologue. It's the beginning. It's a taste of what is about to come. So it's followed after that anointing of Jesus at Bethany, which is truly about the value of who Christ is, the secret meetings with Judas, the Passover celebration, Peter's revealing of his future failures in in his relationship with Christ, the garden and the sleeping disciples, the arrest. And when I read that story of the garden and the arrest, it makes you really go, hmm, who's really in control of all of this that's going on? And the act of betrayal by those that are closest to him. And that's the part, I think, that really hits me the hardest. Because I expect the religious leaders to betray Christ because that's their history with him. He has a lot of history with those guys. And so they, I expect that. I expect the Roman government to simply have a problem with him also and betray him. Because I realize that, hey, you know, that's, he's in direct opposition to that. So what I understand is this. Jesus suffers at the hands of those closest to him. And that's tough. And when you paint this picture with that brush that he is failed and betrayed and he is rejected by those that are very closest to him. It's a different brush to paint the picture with, isn't it? Because it brings us into the story. It brings you and I into this story. Why? Because most of us, in fact, probably all of us in this room, at some point you have experienced betrayal. At some point you've been rejected by someone. At some point someone has Turn their back on you, so to speak. Hey, it, it can be, it can be anyone and anything. Someone that you're close to, a family member. It could be a child. It could be a spouse. Yeah, for some of you sitting here, you've been betrayed by the church. Yes. Because you came looking for healing and you came looking for community. And wherever you found yourself, you found the total opposite of that. For some of you that you feel like you've even been betrayed by life itself because you think that life has dealt you a very strange uh, hand of cards, so to speak. And, and this is not what you thought life was going to be, where you are right now. For some of you, you feel like you've even been betrayed by God because you ask God for something and God has not done what you have asked him to do. So we all struggle with this in some way or the other. And what I realize about betrayal and rejection, that it knows no class, it knows no economical status. It does not. It, it, it really has no boundaries in our life as humanity. It touches all of us and it touches in such a painful way when it is absolutely very close to us. When it's someone that we've allowed into the spaces of our own heart and our own minds. And I wonder, how does this happen? You know, how does this happen? How can Judas, as we know, and we're going to read in a few moments, how does Judas betray Jesus? Because when Judas meets Jesus in the garden later on, and we're going to read that text, Jesus calls him friend. So how does this relationship degrade to this point? And it's exactly why you find in verse 6 the story of that, of the anointing in Bethany. It's, it's sandwiched right in all of this betrayal, this story of this anointing of Jesus in Bethany. You have this powerful woman who has the most expensive thing in her life, this, this flask of oil, and she comes to Christ in the company of the disciples, 
and she begins to pour this spice, this expensive spice, over the head of Christ. And when you think about this in the culture, what I realize is she risked it all. It's scandalous is what it is. You know why? Because for her to even be that close to Jesus or to touch him as it not being her husband or his spouse, it's absolutely scandalous. She lays everything on the line, everything that she owns. Her reputation is at stake here. She holds nothing back. And do you know what that moment was? It was a moment of saying to Jesus that I value you more than life itself. Everything. I value more, I value more than anything else in my life. But you have the spiritual disciples, the ones that have been walking with Jesus, standing around, And what do they do? The Bible says that they react indignantly. It's what they do. Their their reaction is an action. They're they're repulsed by this offering. And what do they say? Well, you could have taken this oil and we could have fed the poor with all of this. And Jesus affirms what she does. He rebukes the disciples. Why? Because it's a way in which she expresses the value of who Christ is. And at that very moment... Judas realizes that this is a martyred Messiah and that he's going to get nothing from this deal with Jesus. Nothing is going to come out of this for him. And at that moment is the moment when he decides, I believe, to betray Jesus. Why? Because he devalues Christ. You can only betray people when you devalue them. And I think that's an important thing for us to understand. Whether you are the betrayer this morning or whether you're in here and you have been betrayed. You can only betray people when you devalue them. Why? Because we love the things that we value, right? Yes, the things that we value, we love them. And we would die for them. I mean, we would, we would go what links in our lives just for those things that we value because we love them. So the reality for Judas, long before this was a financial issue for him, it was always a heart issue for him. And he devalues Christ. And that is the way that he can walk away from Jesus. Can I tell you something? And I want you to hear this in light of that. Because some of you have been betrayed. And you realize that I was devalued, Mark. I understand that now. That whoever this individual was, they placed something before me. I moved somewhere in their life down the list. And so I feel really devalued. Let me say to you this morning, regardless of what has happened to you in life, regardless of who has said something to you in life, regardless of all of those that may have walked away from you in life, understand this today. God sets your value. People do not set your value. God set your value when he wrote this story and he placed you in the middle of this story and he said that I love you so much that I'm going to send my son to die for you and he's going to cover you with his perfection and his righteousness so that when I see you I see you in light of that that's how much I value you oh Mark do you ever struggle with that oh no I'm the pastor Pastor and perfect both start with P, right? No, I do. Absolutely, I do. A really, really good friend of mine texted me this week and said this to me. I'm praying for you. God has your back. And you're here. And I see that you're here all the way from Florida. You're here. Yes, God has my back. That God values me. God values you this morning. Realize that you're written into this story for that very reason. Yes, Let me, let me read more to you 
Verse 14, we'll read more of the story. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went into the chief priest, and he said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 20 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Christ or to betray him. Listen, here is the thing about Jesus and this whole story and me being a part of it and you being a part of it. That God knows the pains of our lives. God knows what it means to be rejected. And God knows what it means to be betrayed. And God knows so that you and I could know that God knows. And that's important. I think that's important for all of us. That the reality is this. That Jesus knows those pains in our lives. So that we can know that he knows those things. And we find great comfort in that. That God is not some detached deity in our lives watching us flounder through this world but he's very much in the very details of all of our lives in those moments that's why he places you in this story that's why he's relevant to your life he is this weekend we have our we have our granddaughters and and i have three wonderful granddaughters you know i have emma who's nine emma's nine going on 19 she really is yes and 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 i have abigail Abigail is, she's, she's like a tornado and she's everywhere. And Abigail is three and I have sweet baby Selah and she's six, six months old. And, and, and so Abigail, our three-year-old, that we bought her this little riding bike and you get on it and it has an iPad in front of it and you steer it and it's this little frog on a tricycle. It's really great. Go get one, really, seriously. And, uh, and it's, be, it's cheaper it's it's cheaper than some of the other exercise bikes that you it's better than the Peloton, okay? And so my iPad is on there, right? You've seen the commercials. And yeah, you have to mortgage your house to buy one. And I've seen that I've it has that my iPad on there. And so I'm setting it up for Abigail who's three. And and all of a sudden, you know, I turn it on and and comes up my code and I start to put it in. And she says, no, Papa. She pushes my hand away. And she, and she looks at me and she, I said, you can't do that. I know you can't. I said it in my heart. So I gave her my code. She puts it right in. She's three years old, right? And so the screen comes up and I said, let me find the app for you. She says, no, Papa. And so she, she scrolls across. She finds the app, right? Yes. And I said, well, let me set it up for you. No. Like, really? What, what am I here for? Am I, you know, and, and I'm just, I'm Papa, so I guess. And, and so she finds it, she starts it, she figures it out, and she's three years old. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Yes, that, that she's so in touch with what is going on there. Can I tell you, God is so in touch with your life today. Realize that. God is so in touch with all those amazing areas of your life. It, it is so powerful to really understand that, that he is so in touch with those areas, every area of your life. Let's read verse 30. It says this, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And, and this is following that of the Passover celebration or what we know to be called as the Last Supper. And then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I, have, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. You can just hear it right in his words, can't you? And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you that this very night before the rooster crows, you would deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny with you. And all the disciples said the same. And I think that last part, all the disciples said the same. We don't always remember that part. They're all in the same boat with Peter. So here is my thought. This is about failing the test before it's given. 
<laughs> it's exactly what this is. It's about failing a test. It's like showing up for calculus class. Just saying the word calculus made some of your palms get sweaty, didn't it? It did, yes. It's about showing up for a calculus class. And you were so busy building community the night before that you didn't study, right? Yeah, you know what I mean? And, uh, and whatever that means for you. And so you were so busy doing that, you didn't study. And what do you do? You know you fail that bad boy before you ever open it, right? You, you know that's going to happen. Here's the thing. To be part of this story, we have to own all of it. And I think that's important that we do that. That if we're going to say, this is my story, then we have to own all of that. And in all of their spiritual forbearance, they failed Christ. Despite all their protests, they failed him. Their response, all this, I'll die for you, no worries, Jesus. They failed in all of those areas. They were empty promises. Man, how many of you have ever had one of those in your life, right? Well, hang on. Because what I, what I really believe is that they probably believed those things when they said that to him. They probably did. Yes, because I think in the back of their mind, they thought that Jesus was going to pull out this last minute, you know, win kind of thing is what they thought he was going to do. I think that they thought that, and, and whether this is appropriate or not, you know, I think that they thought that Jesus said the very last minute, fourth quarter, you know, it's only three seconds to go in the game, and Jesus is going to throw a Hail Mary. I don't know if you can say those at the same time, right? But yet, that, that Jesus was going to do that, it's some, and you know, that's the pass at the very end where you win by one point kind of thing. They thought he was going to pull it out like that. They fail the test before it's ever given because they had to because it's our story. Before they ever fall asleep in the garden and before the rooster ever crows, they fail the test because it's the brokenness of humanity. It's the Genesis chapter 3 world in which we live. It's our propensity to sin. And I think it's very easy for you and I in this story, if you say we're part of the story, it's very easy for us to own the fact that we've been betrayed and rejected But it's really a whole different thing for you and I to own the fact that at times in life, we have been the betrayer. I love the other part. I really do. But when I have to own all of the story today, since this is my story, then boy, that's a part that I really don't want to own. The disciples were always like, hey, Everybody else may leave you. We'll never leave you. We're never going to be like the other guys. And they are the guys. Because Jesus comes and makes himself vulnerable for you and I. And he makes himself vulnerable to those that are very closest to him. And I've often wondered, and I I wrote in my journal thinking through this this week. What was the greatest pain in the life of Jesus at this time in his life? Was it the cross or was it the betrayal of those closest to him? I think in his most difficult hour, they walk away from him. Listen, you can feel the emotions in Matthew's words. 
reading this over and over as you should and meditating in it, you can feel the emotions and the pain in that, in his words, as he begins to lay this out for you and I. You can feel the pain that is in Jesus' life. You can. You can also feel the need for his support from his closest friends, from his closest allies, from those around him, his community. You can feel that there's a need in Jesus' voice for that by the words that is used by Matthew in all of this. Remember that he is fully God and fully man. That doesn't mean that he is 50% human and 50% deity. That is absolutely incorrect to understand, a way to understand the incarnation. He is 100% man and he is 100% God. And in that understanding of that, you should never separate God's humanity from his deity. You can never separate Jesus' humanity from his deity. You cannot. Because what you do is you remove that element that you and I connect with. He felt the very things that you and I feel. And in the middle of all of this betrayal from his closest friends, he's still their savior. (laughs) I'm wondering, dude, here's what I would do. If if these were my buddies and they had betrayed me like this or about to, and I know, here's what I would do. I would give them them that right there, right? I would give them that right here where God intended to land. That's what I would do and say, dude, Don't let the door hit your rear on the way out. Get out of my life. No, what does he do? He even draws them closer. The words that he begins to speak to them are so powerful. What do you mean? It's this verse. I want you to see this verse. And here's what it says. That you will all fall away because of me this night. For it was written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But here's the thing in verse 32. I love the butts of the Bible. Don't you? What is that? That's odd, isn't it? Yes, and especially with me standing this way toward you. But yet, it's, I love the butts of the Bible because what it says is not over. There's something else. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. What is he saying to them? Hey, I know what you're about to do. I know your heart. I know the fear that's gripping you. I know that. But there's going to be restoration beyond this. There's going to be a journey. Yes, I'm going to let you work through these days from now until the point of the resurrection. I'm going to let you work through these moments because that's about your growth, because you need a very clear picture of who you are. And what I realize about life is this. If I'm to have a very good understanding of who Christ is and a clear picture of who he is, then I have to have a very crystal clear picture of who I am. And I am capable of this kind of behavior. I don't want to hear that. I know. I don't want to hear that either. But it's true. But he said, even in light of that, something better is coming. Something better is coming. Isn't that wonderful for you and I? Those of you in the room that have been betrayed, those of you in the room that are betrayers, or whether you're both, something better is coming. He's speaking to Peter. He's saying, Peter, you don't see it, but I know what's about to come. Because there's not many days from now, Peter, and what's going to happen is this. You're going to be in the upper room in Jerusalem, and you're going to be praying with others there. And all of a sudden, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the power to do witness in this world for me. And then you're going to go, and you're going to preach a sermon, Peter. You're going to preach a sermon to 3,000 people, and they're going to get saved, and you're going to baptize them. And you just have no idea how I'm going to work through your life. Why? Because in the Bible, there are always buts for you and I. There's always something else. It's a beautiful picture of redemption for us. 
And the disciples deserve none of it. Not an ounce of it they deserve. Not a moment of any of this they deserve. They failed to check all the boxes. They did. But it's a beautiful picture of grace in their lives and ours. Look at verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And and then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? And I think, what is he sorrowful to death over? Is it the cross? Is it the scourging? Is it those things that he knows as being God is going to take place in his life? Are those the things that he allows himself to experience all of these things for you and I? Is it that? And I think it's that, but more. I think it's the weight of the sin of all of humanity that he's feeling upon his shoulders. But I think specifically, it's the very weight of his disciples. It's those that are very close to him that very day. Their fear, their self-preservation, their betrayal, their abandonment of him, not just in a physical way, but in a very emotional and a very spiritual way. And I thought, why so much about their failure? And here's my thought. Because I have to see the failure of the disciples. I have to understand the absolute failure of the disciples in order for me to absolutely appropriately appreciate the unbelievable faithfulness of God toward me. That I have to see that. It's comparison. That God says, look at how how they have failed, but look at my faithfulness toward you. Let Let me say this to you as a sidebar in the garden of Gethsemane when he is praying. That following God, and realize this, following God is not always the absence of pain within your life. Many times following God is the crucible of pain within your life. And you say, Mark, you just won a lot of friends and influenced a whole lot of people with that statement, boy, didn't you? Yeah. Like, happy pre-Easter on that one. But it is true. If you're going to do the work of the Father, that sometimes it's painful. It is. He asked his disciples to share in his suffering by just waiting and praying. Why does he ask them to do that? Because that's what you do in times like this. You pray. That's it. That is it. Positive thinking is wonderful. And I I commend you for that. Yes, friends that support you, absolutely wonderful, and you need that. But what do you do when you simply don't have those things? Or you can't feel the weight of those things within your life? What do you do? You pray. You absolutely pray. In those moments of your life, you pray. And what I realize prayer is, prayer is two things. One, prayer is an admission of my inability, and it's a declaration of God's ability for my life. It's an admission of my inability that I can't, I can't influence this. I can't change this. But it's also a declaration of my dependency and Christ's ability, my dependency upon him. And when I look at this, I realize that understanding that Christ's ability and my dependency on him, then, then I realize that he's in control. He's in control of things. Even this. Let's read more. Our last portion of scripture for a moment verse 47 while he was still a a long 
portion, but you got to hear this while he was still speaking. Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, well planned out, isn't it? The one I will kiss is the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend. He's close to Jesus. Do what you came to do. And then they came up and they laid hands upon Jesus. They seized him and behold, one of those who were with Jesus. And we know that to be Peter from the synoptics stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Because it shows us that they really didn't know who Christ was because they'd never discovered who they were. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? And you can feel the heart of Jesus. Look at this. Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples, all the disciples left him and fled. Ultimately, who's in control here? Because when I read this, what I look and I see this is that Jesus chooses the place that they go to. Why? Because historically we realize that Jesus had met with the disciples there before. So he chose the place so Judas would know where he was. Other, other gospels say they send 600 soldiers. They send an army. They send an army to arrest the Prince of Peace. It, it is an amazing thing, isn't it? It is. Other gospels say they bring torches and they bring lanterns for they seek the the light of the world. It's a powerful thought that other gospels say that Jesus approaches those that are coming for him first. He asks them, who are you looking for? They tell him. And when he says, I am he, the entire crowd falls to the ground. Why? Because it's the very words that he spoke to Moses in the book of Exodus when he told him to tell the children of Israel in captivity in Egypt, who is sending you the very same words. He allows the arrest to continue. But before it does, in other gospels, he commands the crowd to let his disciples go. And they flee like cowards from him. If you've been walking with Jesus, if you'd have seen just these things alone, but yet add to them walking on water, healing the blind, raising the dead. If you'd seen all of those kinds of things in this moment, how would you have reacted? How? Oh, I would have trusted the Lord in this. And I knew that God had this all under control. No. Hey, you're in the story. You don't know the end of the story yet. You're in the middle of the story. So don't throw rocks at Peter when Peter pulls a sword. He reacts, but he reacts because he can't control the situation. And he reacts out of fear. Oh, but Peter was so brave. Finish reading chapter 26. How brave is really Peter? A servant girl comes to him and says, hey, weren't you part of this group? No, I'm not part of that group. Absolutely not. Someone else comes to him. Don't you know this man? No, I don't know. It's the third time someone comes to him before the rooster crows and he, and he curses. 
I almost got real southern and said he cusses, right? Yes, he cussed. Uh, what did he say? I have some ideas. Put them in my journal. Stay out of my journal. But what he said was this. No, I did. I really did. Well, what I've said in the moment, you know, right? And, and so what I realize is that we look at this and we think, where's God? Oh, God's right in the middle of it. Can't you see it? God's right in the middle of all of this. His hand is all woven through every action of every, everything. But I think we have this moment in our lives when we are betrayed. And even sometimes when we are the betrayer and we find ourselves in sin and we feel locked into those moments of our life, that we feel that God is standing back like this with his arms crossed and he's kind of watching us flounder through life and all of our failures and all of our harms and hurts and pain. And the reality is that God never crosses his arms and steps away from your life. God is always in the very middle of your life. God is in the middle of this moment of betrayal. He's in the middle of that. And Peter fears what he can't control. Do you see God this morning in your story? Do you see him? So for a moment, press the pause button. My Abigail, three years old, she would know exactly where that was. Press the pause button. Take a moment to reflect. In fact, take a moment to listen to Janae's story. And you'll see God in her story. You'll see God in yours. Uh, my name is Janae Walker. Um, and I grew up in Greenville. My family's from Chicago, though. I always have to throw that in there. A little spice. Um... My grandfather was a pastor, so I grew up in the church. Um, and then as I got older, my mom always taught us to like think for ourselves and like come to our own conclusions and stuff, um, not just because we grew up in that atmosphere, which was always really cool. It started when I was very young. Um, I was like such a happy kid. Everything was like fun, great, perfect. Um, we moved down from Chicago when I was really young. And leading into like my sixth grade time, little baby Janae, um, we went homeless essentially. Uh, the house that we stayed in was my great grandmother's and she passed away, which forced me, my siblings and my mom to have to move out. So we like stayed in shelters and um, hotels and stuff like that. Um, and so during that time it was definitely like very scary for like a little kid, especially being the youngest out of everyone. Um, and to like open up the car door and just see all your stuff packed in there. And that's how you knew that you were going to like the next place. Um, but even throughout that time, like I would watch my mother pray every single morning on the way to school. When she picked us up from school, just every single moment she was just praying. And I'm like, why are you praying? Like. Do you not realize what we're going through? Then leading into about my senior year of high school, I we moved to Illinois and I wanted to finish school here in South Carolina. So I moved back and lived with my aunt and uncle for a while, um, which was an abusive household, which was verbally at first, then led um, to physical altercations. And, and so that's 
where I definitely was at my like furthest point away from the Lord. I was confused because um, my aunt and uncle literally left church and like came home to like me and um, I was like, how how can you be Christians and like do this on the side? Um, so it was definitely confusing and definitely felt the furthest away and definitely did not try to like fix anything. I'm like, well, you do you, I'm going to go do me. Um, so leaving out of senior year, which was just amazing because it was the toughest year of my life, um, uh, especially with that and even with coming back from Illinois, I almost didn't graduate. So just felt not wanted in that entire year. I feel like a lot of people, same with me, whenever you're going through the tough things, um, because we still weren't out of the woods with the whole homelessness thing. Like We still were living paycheck to paycheck, eating fish sticks almost every single night for dinner because we knew a time where we didn't have dinner. And then leading into um, my senior year of high school, a lot of times whenever things would happen, I will always ask myself the question, why am I not a good enough person for these things not to happen? Um, what can I do to change that? What can I change about myself in order to get the outcome that I want? And then I slowly but surely started to realize there's nothing that I did wrong. It took coming to Anderson and coming to Hope my freshman year to be surrounded by people who have been loved endlessly and to show me that, hey, you are also loved endlessly. You may not feel like it, but here's some tools to help you get to that point. So that's kind of been like the constant theme of my life is to realize there's nothing I can do to make him love me less, which has been like the greatest lesson I have ever learned. Thinking back to it, uh, just like I was just saying that like, it was always about me, 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 um, which is easy because it's, it's my life. But it is kind of about me. <laughs> But um, as I got older and as I got more mature in my relationship with the Lord, we always talk about um, for His grace and for His glory. And then I really took that to heart that my story is not for me, it's for others. It's for me to share. Um, it's for me to be open and to talk about the difficult things because someone else who may be feeling the same way that I was could also maybe come to that realization like, wow, like you can like persevere through it and stuff and like you're not alone because you're never alone um, and I think that's the coolest thing about stories is that it's never really for you it's always for someone else and it just takes sharing it in order to find that person. If, if you don't know Janae Janae usually stands about here a lot of Sunday mornings, guitar around her shoulder, standing uh, in front of a mic. And I want to thank her for her vulnerability to share that with us. Because we all have a story, don't we? And sometimes it takes just a pause in life for us to step back and to realize that God is in the middle of that story. He's in the middle of that. That he's not separated himself from us. Even in the moments of homelessness. 
moments of abuse and other things in our lives, rejection, betrayal, that he's always there in the middle of us. I just feel so impressed by the Lord this morning to not go any further in what I want to talk to you about. And there are some next steps that are on your notes or they're going to be on our dive-in online at hopeandanderson.com for you to look at that if you want some of those things, and there they are. But I feel the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts and our lives, and I think we need to pray. Because in this room is represented many people that have been betrayed and you've been rejected. And for some of you, that happened 10 and 20 years ago, yet you've never recovered from that. And I wish I could stand here and tell you all of my story, but there are things that prevent me from doing that, and that's someday it will, I will be able to do that. But I know what that feeling is. And I want to tell you today, this is not the end for you. That whether you are the betrayed or the betrayer today, this is not the end for you. That there's always that Christ that goes before you to Galilee, like he said to the disciples that day. There's always that moment. You may not can go back and undo the pain and you may not can go back and erase all of those memories from your mind. But I tell you what God can do. God can heal your heart and he can heal your mind to the way that you process that. And it becomes part of your story that you can tell to others to set them free. So I encourage you to do something today. In the middle of your brokenness, in the, the middle of your memories, in the middle of those moments of betrayal within your life, or reeling with the things that you've done and betraying someone else, translate that into your story. And allow God to take you to the next place in life. Because not for one second has He ever folded His hands and stepped away from you. He has always been there in the moments of your life when they're beautiful and when they're ugly. He's there. So for a moment, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I know that there's nothing, you know, magical about that other than it's a moment of reflection. And for a moment for you to be really honest with God. Father, you know us. Just as you were to tell the disciples, Lord, what they were going to do before they ever perpetrated those acts toward you, you know us. And in knowing us, you love us. God, that this is not about a journey to be accepted. We are accepted by you. 
This is not trying to go back and erase something in our past or redo something that we, we, we did wrong. This is about realizing that those things have been covered by your work on the cross. That's the story of the passion. But today, God, it's about us being real with you and authentic with you about the hurt and the pain of our life. About the feelings of abandonment, God, that many times we have taken that very same brush and we've painted you with it, Lord, because we've said, God, this has not worked out in my life and this has not worked out, so God, surely you've walked away from me like other people have walked away from me. And the reality of the story tells us today that nothing we do in this life will ever cause you to walk away from us. So, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, let a true blanket of healing and freedom fall over this group of people this morning. God, that you would set those free in this room today, Lord, that if for years, because of their betrayal and their rejection, I've always thought that at some point you would do that to them, God. Erase that, Lord. May them understand that the gospel teaches us something completely opposite of that. And we can trust you. For those in the room that have been violated by those that should have loved them. For those that hands that should held them and caressed them and guided them became hands that abused them. Father, that is our story, yes. But Lord, today, you doesn't, it's not our identity because you're the one that sets our value. So you're the one that gives us our identity. So bring healing in this room this way, God. For those that struggle to love anymore or love anyone else because of rejection, God, realize, help them to realize that now you love through them. And it changes everything. For those that are sitting here heavy with sin, Lord. They've betrayed others, God. And they feel they've betrayed you because of their broken promises with you. Father, right now, may they sense and feel and understand your forgiveness for their life. In this moment of repentance before you. And work the greatest miracle of all, and that is redemption. Father, your story is our story. And because of that, we will never be the same. Thank you for being intentional toward us, God, when we deserve nothing from you. Thank you for writing us into the story today, God. In your name we pray.